Hello and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and on today's episode, I'm taking a look at the essential question, how prepared is Santa Barbara County for a natural disaster? In lieu of the recent storm craziness where both the January storms and March storms rummaged through Santa Barbara County, issuing evacuation orders, flood watches, closing schools, and damaging property, the Indy has set out to chat with local emergency services to see really how prepared we are to take on nature's worst. And casting into the future, what preparedness strategies are in place for if and when the great quake hits, a wildfire, or tsunami? Santa Barbara's Stacy Rosenberger and Golita's Michael Barris on the Indie Pod today. My name is Stacy Rosenberger. I am the Emergency Services Manager for the City of Santa Barbara. Emergency management is a uh, a position and a department that not many people know about. And so within the city of Santa Barbara, I work on coordinating our emergency preparedness, response, mitigation, and recovery for the uh, city boundaries of city of Santa Barbara. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm Michael Barris. Uh, I'm the emergency services coordinator for the city of Goleta. I am a department of one Really, I am the one emergency management professional uh, with the city, and that is kind of a consistent story amongst jurisdictions. Emergency management is just a very broad field in general. Overall, there's four parts to it. Preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery. Uh, Mitigation, we cannot stop an earthquake from happening, but we can make sure our buildings are improved, our infrastructure is set up for success to, uh, you know, handle that sort of emergency if it ever happens. There's preparedness, so you know, talking to the community like we're doing today, response, how do we you know, respond to a disaster situation, and recovery is how do we stabilize the community? How do we get things back to um, a place where everyone can enjoy the sunshine and you know, get back to their normal lives? And uh, so being a city emergency manager, uh, emergency management professional, It's kind of interesting because there's people who dedicate their entire lives to like one of those four sections. Um, Easy one is, you know, a firefighter, law enforcement, they do response. And but we have to know about all four of those pieces um, to a general level. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we'll touch on those four kind of pillars of, of your work, response, recovery, mitigation, preparedness. So there's a bunch of different areas that I want to hit when it comes to disaster preparedness in terms of which disasters we're talking about. But let's start off with what is most timely and certainly most impactful for Santa Barbara residents this winter season, the torrential rains. It is driving schools to shut down, causing emergency evacuation orders and flood alerts in what seems like week after week and completely saturating Santa Barbara County. So how is Goleta and Santa Barbara responding to the historic rainfalls? It's a learning process is the number one to share about this. We went from years ago that we were within a intense drought situation. And so now that that focus has shifted within just a couple years from what do we do when we have no water to now we have too much water. There's a lot of learning and even just uh, a lot of our city staff 
who have never been in this position before. On top of being in that position, we're still, you know, trying to keep, make the best decision from what we understand and what we know for what's best for our residents and what's best for our staff because they have to get to work themselves and they have to use the roads. Is it a good call to even use those roads at those times? So it's a big learning process. And especially as it's difficult to improve upon those processes when it seems to be this weekly event. Like we try to find as much time as possible to talk about how do we improve for next time? What can the community expect from us? How do we communicate all of that to you know our residents and our staff? But when it just happens week after week, it just feels like there isn't enough time to do all those, do all those items. So that's been sort of my experience, a, a snapshot of my experience. Absolutely. That quick turnaround. Uh, I would agree. There's a lot of learning curve there. We've had, you know, an unprecedented, at least at this point in time, amount of rainfall um, since the end of December. We've at this point had almost a weekly storm um, or every other week atmospheric river coming in. Uh, City of Santa Barbara has done a lot of planning around flooding. We know the areas that are flood, flood based on historical data. And our public works department does a lot of work on making sure we don't have that flooding. However, you know, the January storm was a different storm than what we knew it was going to be than what National Weather Service predicted. And I think that's just one thing to highlight is it's a prediction and it can quickly change. These storms can quickly change, just like we didn't think in our county that we would have tornadoes, yet we saw tornadoes in Carpinteria the other day. Weather is ever-changing and is getting more intense, and so we're starting to see that, and it is a concern that we have, and, um, you know, we're continuing, like Michael said, to look at our plans, look at our response. I think in the city we did some really good things and implemented some things from the January storm to these last set of storms, such as in January storms we had a large issue with flooding and cars getting damaged. Um, So we looked at that and said, what can we do to help residents not have their cars damaged if we have that level of flooding again? So we're starting to implement allowing individuals to park in our city, in certain city lots when we have flooding or um, on the east side, uh, partnering with the school district to allow them to park in uh, either school lot or school property over there to get cars out of those flooded areas because that was one of the largest amounts of damage we saw. So those are some small things we're doing. Um, I think there's always the increased community messaging. Uh, Whenever we have a disaster, everyone is now concerned about that. And so that's a blessing in some ways because now people want to get alerted. They want to know what's going on. Um, And it just means we have to do more public information. But that's, that's a good thing when it comes to emergency management and is a large part of what we do during these storms. Um, So if we don't have flooding, we're doing a lot of response telling you to stay off the roadways, a lot of communication telling you to stay off the roadways, Um, you know, don't be by creeks and streams, don't go in running water, don't drive through standing water, explaining what's the difference between a watch, a flood watch advisory warning, which is very confusing because they all sound the same. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to do that for all of our residents. So making sure it's across all languages and I would say that's one of our biggest challenges during a disaster is really the communication and something that I think we've excelled at as a city and as a county in this last set of storms for sure. That was very comprehensive. I feel like I learned a lot about what goes into disaster preparedness from your roles. So 
Kind of diving into that a little bit deeper, you mentioned car damages and opening up parking lots to mitigate damages for residents who have had their cars being wrecked by these floods going through the streets. So going into that more, how prepared was Santa Barbara County for these torrential rains? In terms of infrastructure and pre-planning, was Santa Barbara prepared to respond effectively and what made this work or what sort of made this the learning lesson? I, I do actually believe that the preparedness part was really well handled uh, looking at the past few months. And for that, I have to give applause to my uh, public works department. Public works is the ones, uh, they are the group that really does make sure that something within our streets, something within our communities, like something physical changes. In this instance, that is our waterways, our culverts, um, basins to have them as clean as possible and have them, you know, be at 100% capacity. If there's boulders, if there's leftovers from last year's storms, or if there's anything, that will literally take up space for that water when it wants to get out. And what instead, you know, the preparedness angle that Public Works took on is just making sure they're as clean as possible, water can get out as quickly and efficiently as possible. And if that water gets out, well, that means it's not in your backyard. So I actually think we handled the preparedness portion very well. And I would agree. I think the cities and the counties did a lot of pre-planning going into these storms. Um, just even from a response effort, we had fire um, mutual aid pre-positioned. We had PD and sheriff pre-positioned throughout the county. Um, and even in, within the city, we had staff on standby uh, for these storms to be able to respond at a moment's notice when we started to see some of those issues, along with doing all the pre-work of cleaning out those debris flow basins, cleaning out the culverts, the creeks as much as possible. Um, but like I said previously, storms can just be unpredictable. And uh, what we saw in January was definitely an unpredictable storm that changed very quickly. And to add on a little bit is that's what's the challenge of these weekly storms as they come in. So. Again, if we want to have as clear of waterways as possible, you know, with every storm, it, they get filled up a little bit more and a little bit more. So almost the, the threshold of what could lead to a flooding event gets like, uh, we get a little closer to that, or it's a little naturally closer uh, because the last storm put some debris, put in some silt, put in some whatever into those culverts. And we have to clean them as quickly as we can and prioritize mm -hmm. which ones you know look the worst in that moment because next week there's going to be a rain but we prioritize one that's we only have the ability to do you know so much at a within a week span so how do you prioritize how do you um, just manage multiple waterways all at once because they're, they just have to be fully cleaned after each storm. Mm -hmm. And then there's also saturation levels. If we're, there's still water in there and then the next storm comes in, that water's still there. You know, we're still seeing that. Um, so yeah, the constant storms definitely has a toll. And I think it has a toll on our residents as well. Um, yeah, as we've seen during wildfires, uh, constant evacuations, um, constant messaging. At some point, people do not listen to that. And they, you know, it's just another rainstorm. It's just that so... We, that's one of our big issues is getting people to understand each new storm coming in, what the hazards are to it, what impact it's going to have on our community, and making sure they're taking those protective measures as they're issued.
And and in terms of cleaning up, that was going to be my next question, but I think the both of you answered it. It's the work of the public works team to go in time after time, storm after storm um, under that deadline and get the community set up and prepared for if and when another storm hits. And it's public works, but it's also private property owners too. Um, So public works covers city city jurisdictions, city roads, city, you know, and we work closely with county public works as well because we have a lot of things that cross over those boundaries. Um, And so, but then private property owners, that's their own bet to do that. So uh, we don't go on to private property to clear debris. Um, So then them clearing their debris also helps the city in general as well too, because that debris is not flowing other places. It's not getting other places. Great. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and before we we move on to another form of natural disaster that the cities of Santa Barbara and Goleta prepare for, I saw a quote on the website that the threat of flash floods and debris flows are now 10 times greater in scar area communities than before the fire, the Thomas fire that is, and they can happen with little or no warning. I know we're we're not talking about burn scars necessarily in this interview, but that is something that I wanted to bring up is um, that threat of flash floods and, and communicating that. Do you have any words on how flash floods affect communities and how you get that messaging across? So uh, flash flood messaging comes directly from National Weather Service when we have that and they push that messaging out. Um, directly through a wireless emergency alerting mm-hmm. network, our WEA network. So that's the alert you get on your phone I see. that blares. And we hope that everyone has that turned on. So for listeners that don't have that turned on your phone. Can you turn it off? You can turn it you off You can now. turn it off. I so have no please, idea. if you've turned it off, go back in and turn it on because that's how uh, some of those very important messages get out to you. Um, but flash flood warnings come very quickly. Uh, normally we have an advisory or watch prior to that, um, before we get that flash flood warning, but that can happen quickly. And when we do get a flash flood warning, the protective measure is to shelter in place. Uh, we don't want you going outside. We don't want you evacuating when you want to shelter in place and move to higher ground within your household if possible. Or if you're outside, move someplace to higher ground, move away from waterways because that's normally where you're going to get the flash flood. So, and if you're in your car, you know, moving someplace and not driving through any of that standing water. Which another thing to touch on with those alerts and warnings, part of what makes that flash flood, you know, that advisory, that blare on your phone is forecasts change all the time. And they seem so last minute because the forecast is the most reliable in that last minute. Um, there, I'm sure the community has felt some storms of like, Oh, yeah, Tuesday, not going to be a big deal. And then the weekend rolls through. We just don't pay attention as much to the weather. And then on Monday, we realize, oh, the storm grew in intensity. This is actually going to be a bigger event than we thought it was. So one of the reasons that uh, I feel for National Weather Service is that they want to make sure that once they send that message out, that it cannot be taken back. So they want to have as reliable of a forecast which turns out is just a last minute um, type of message. For residents, and Stacy kind of touched up on this, is when that alert, when that flood notice goes out, the biggest thing to pay attention to is, again, where you are physically. If you were on a higher elevation, it just makes sense. Gravity works. You're going to be away from the water. 
Um, so really those messages are, especially for the residents who live near a creek or waterway or something like that, overall, so they are the most important to receive that message because they are so physically close. For the rest of us, while it is a concern to see it on your phone, just think of, you know, maybe your route to work, your walk around your neighborhood, and it may be best to just completely avoid going on that walk or that drive because there's water near you. But that doesn't mean, you know, if you happen to live on the second or third story of a apartment building, that worry is shouldn't be too much on your mind in the same way as someone with a creek in their backyard. Right. Thank you for that. Um, and this is a this is a good segue. I do want to move the conversation into talks about uh, wildfires. We are at the fire admin office right now. So uh, surrounded by uh, firefighters who responded to, I'm sure, in the past major, major fires that have hit Santa Barbara County. So the history of wildfires in Santa Barbara is formidable. And according to the Fire Safe Council in Santa Barbara County, the amount of large fires in the area have majorly increased in the last decade. Why is this? So I can talk a little bit about that. I don't have the full scientific knowledge. Um, just in general, we've seen climate change. We've seen uh, large amounts of drought within the county and within the state. Um, so those two things going together, if we have had uh, if we've had periods of big rain and then we have periods of drought, so rain causes things to causes all of our fuel to grow. And then we have drought and sunny times that dry everything out, creating more fuel than for a wildfire. Um, we have larger amounts of wind events as far, you know, within our uh, county, which then can cause those fires to become bigger, like we saw with the Thomas fire. Um, so it's a little bit of everything is getting more, more extreme. And so we see that now as a county and as a, as a state, and just we're seeing that nationally as well, where we're just seeing an increase in these extreme weather patterns, which then can cause larger fires, large, larger flooding. Um, and Santa Barbara County is susceptible to wildfires. We have, you know, we have very nice mountains that are gorgeous, uh, but they have a lot of fuel on them. And they have a lot of wind that goes through all those canyons, which um, is susceptible to have, you know, fires start and go very quickly through them. I'm in the same boat where I don't have the full scientific knowledge of, you know, what exactly is causing all this. Instead, it's just, you know, what I've gathered over time and what experts have told me and just things of that nature. Wildfires, especially as was mentioned, we seem to be entering into these seasons of intensity, rather, in Santa Barbara County, mostly due to climate change. It's raining more than ever before. Uh, there was last, I believe it was August, that almost 100 degree day that just fried everyone. I remember trying to find, you know, as cool of a place to spend outside of my home. And we're really going through just these areas of extremes. And especially add that in. So now we have the water. So plant growth will be increasing over this next year, which if we go again into that drought-like period and everything dries up, we've now provided the environment um, fuel in order to burn more. And overall, yeah, it is that uh, because we're in such extremes and it does this sort of combination of, of fuel and wind, uh, wind being one of the biggest driving factors of wildfires um, as they move along just acres of land. And just all those combinations together uh, really do increase the wildfire risk just around the entire Southern California region. 
Right. That really does make sense. What both of you said, it it's, it's extremes. And with all of these rains now, we have all of the fuel growing and then drying out in the summer when the sun comes out. And then that is just ignition for these, for these wildfires. So that makes sense. Um, thank you for those descriptions. I just do want to add that before it gets all too dark and bleak, that of course there are still mitigation measures for wildfires themselves. And a lot of those mitigation measures are, uh, we're finding a lot of success with them. I would recommend that someone talk to more of a fire science professional about those measures. But um, from my understanding is there, there are ways to prevent this um, or pardon to mitigate this. And I, I think a lot of those methods are you know, improving upon you know, just what overall our preparedness and response is just as jurisdictions and looking after our communities. Absolutely. Uh, I will get into that right now. So notably, 2017 was a major fire year in Santa Barbara with uh, the Thomas Fire, the largest wildfire in California history at the time. And I will not get dark and bleak um, since we did that for a couple minutes talking about, you know, kind of what has caused this dramatic increase in fires. But what lessons did the county learn from that tragedy? I know you might have not been in your current roles at that time, but um, how prepared are we to respond now? So I was not in this role during at the city. I was in a role at the county. And I would just say, in I, I think from what I saw, just I think our response to the Thomas fire, we our response in California to fires and to wildfires is pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, the amount of mutual aid we get from other, uh, you know, jurisdictions is amazing. Uh, they did an amazing job stopping the fire where it did when it was in Santa Barbara. The one thing with the Thomas fire that is different than other fires that, you know, how it impacted Santa Barbara versus Ventura is, so Ventura, it started in Ventura and moved very quickly. It made its way into our county. It made its way into the city and like, and slowly we saw evacuations happen in Carpinteria and then Montecito and then the city. And um, as it made its way across, you're able to plan more. You're able to pre-position more fire staff um, and look at those evacuation areas a little bit more. So it's always that being able to have that extra time to plan helps you with your response. We don't always have that. And um, so I think it would have been very different if you don't, when you don't have that. So that's like with flooding too, having that extra time, knowing that we have uh, a storm coming and we have that time to pre-plan. It's those incidents that happen right then and you have to respond right away. You don't have, we have what resources we have within the city or within the county. And then we pull stuff in. Um, from other counties and from our mutual aid. So I think that's one thing is we already have that in place as a county and as a state, and it's a great system. So that's always really helpful. I think we've done a lot of work as a city and as a county just on our communication with the community. I think that's been a huge part. Our ready SBC alert done through the county are uh, great and uh, are very much depended on by our, our city residents and our county residents. And that's how a lot of people get their information on uh, any emergency protective measures, as well as just general information. So the emergency management perspective, you know, who we are, what do we do in these response times, um, and especially the preparedness leading up to it, I feel relatively good about how we would handle such a event in the future. Part of that is, it, it's very multifaceted, but the ones that I would touch on is 
the relationships between just all the different jurisdictions from Southern Santa Barbara County, that's Carpinteria all the way to the north, Santa Maria, Lompoc, Goleta in between, all of the cities. There's been since that time just a gathering of uh, people that all want to respond and work together and have a very team mentality when responding to these events. Overall, because of that team mentality that we have with all the different jurisdictions, the relationship building is much stronger, I think, uh, than it has been back then. I think we all understand that not one person can respond to a wildfire. I cannot go out there with a fire extinguisher and do it myself. It really takes all these agencies. It takes uh, fire, it takes law enforcement, it takes emergency management, public works, it takes our leaderships and our elected officials all to work together to kind of take on this really large project. And what I see has changed has just that relationship building and that understanding of no one can do it on their own. We've instead sort of like gathered all of our resources, all of our preparedness tactics and strategies, brought it together, and we're just in a better spot to just work together. And that's on a city level, that's on a just a jurisdiction county level. Uh, I think we're working together a lot better than before. Well, it's very comforting to know that we're in good hands and that the system is working effectively. Um, I wanted to segue into another area, but I wanted to first off say that for my entire life, and I'm sure yours, you've been hearing that the great quake is coming any minute on the San Andreas Fault. And as a little girl, this terrified me. And I remember doing those drills in school, those earthquake drills. It, I was just completely petrified of the thought of a massive earthquake. Can you talk about disaster preparedness for an earthquake and hopefully qualm my fears? I would say the first thing to calm those fears is to get ready at home as much as possible. So another one of my responsibilities is just community preparedness. And it turns out that trying to make sure that a family has, you know, potentially 72 hours of supplies, of food, water, you know, in my world, if I am able to take like, you know, one family away from what I have to worry about, that just, you know, makes the response go a little bit better. So it's as a general community preparedness thing, looking to have about 72 hours of self-sustainability and hopefully by you having, you know, some sort of an emergency kit, hopefully that puts you in a position where, you know, I'm okay physically, I can get through the next few days. They will be difficult, but at least you know that you will be physically okay and safe. And then the next is just to, you know, lead into that preparedness, make sure your loved ones are also in a position where they're set up for success if ever the uh, earthquake may come. Yeah, I would say um, when we talk about preparing for an earthquake uh, or any disaster, we, you know, we have general preparedness that you want to make sure that you do, and that that applies for every disaster. Um, So like Michael said, having a kit at your house, in your car, at work, um, with some of those items you might need, food, water, medication, your glasses, important documents. That kit can be used for earthquakes. It can be used if you have to evacuate. Um, it could be used uh, if you have to shelter in place. So there's a lot of different ways that uh, that could be used. So we really encourage everyone to be individually prepared, have that kit. There's a lot of great resources out there that provide what should be in that kit, as well as ways to kind of build that over the year, because it can be very daunting to try and do that at one time. 
financially and just it's a lot of things that are suggested, but really thinking about what's the most important that you need. Um, also, when it comes to an earthquake, you know, one of the main things we see where there are impacts is uh, things within your household falling over, uh, breaking. So having a pair of shoes under your bed because you're going to get potentially cut up feet from a window breaking. Um, so just a small thing that you can do, have a pair of running shoes under your bed or something that's hard that you can put on if there is an earthquake, making sure items on your walls are actually mounted, your TV's actually mounted so it's not going to fall over. So those small things that you could go home and do today don't take too much time. Um, you could do those so that that's making your house safer, your area that you're in safer, so that if we do have an earthquake, you're not going to see as much damage to your stuff. You're not going to have uh, physical damage potentially. Um, so those are just, you know, a few things I'm practicing. I know we all know the drop cover hold on drill. I think it's still called that. I, they they do rebrand occasionally, yeah. so I'm never for sure, but I remember doing that as a kid you know, making sure you practice that. And then also like any disaster you want to have, like Michael was saying, the communication plan as well. So how, if you have to evacuate uh, after an earthquake, if you have to go someplace, how are you contacting those people? Cell service may be down. Do you actually know the phone number? Do you have that phone number memorized anymore? I don't have as many phone, phone numbers memorized anymore. So just having those written down in a place for them with your important documents um, so that you can easily get a hold of people following a disaster as well. One of the things I talk about in my community presentations is, you know, what's the goal of disaster preparedness? And it's just setting yourself up for success. And I have, you know, this, I call it my loop. And it is where by preparing yourself, you're putting yourself in a low stress environment, in a low stress headspace. Turns out when you're lower stress, you make smarter decisions um, that are better for you. And those smarter decisions lead to safer actions, which when you're safe and you're physically unharmed, turns out, again, you're low stress, which again leads to smarter decisions. And that, that positive loop continues. I think one of the best ways to sort of enter into that positive loop, I would encourage everyone to make a disaster kit in their home that can go into their front closet, can be thrown into the trunk of their car, wherever you think that you would have easy access to grab this within an hour's notice. Uh, I would fill that with clothes, uh, potentially some medication, water, another pair of shoes, uh, maybe that list of phone numbers that, uh, you know, in, in case you don't have it memorized, and uh, leave a little space at the top that more things can go in. Those other things may be your social security card, or maybe a birth certificate, some bank information, or the title to your car. Just so that, you know, those don't always belong in a disaster kit, but to have that space ready to take those things from your home, put them in your bag, and now everything you need is all together. Uh, one place to build a really, really good kit actually is ready.gov slash kit. They do a really good job of kind of breaking down what you need I would just encourage everyone to, you don't have to make the perfect kit tomorrow. Uh, you don't have to go out to the store and buy everything that they say. Overall, I would just suggest if you have an old backpack, um, an old bag that, you know, maybe has had a rough life and maybe you're thinking of disposing of, that could be the perfect go bag that you have. That could be the best kit to have in a disaster. You're taking care of yourself within a rough moment today when going to be stressful then. And we want to lower that stress for everyone. I'm making a mental checklist as you both speak. Um, do you have any information on building code? 
I know modern buildings are typically built on these underground rollers that sort of absorb the shock of an earthquake, making them a little bit safer to endure the quake. Um, Any thoughts on the state of Santa Barbara or Goleta infrastructure in terms of this? So I cannot specifically talk on that. I know building codes just in general have changed a lot and they do really in California for sure take into account our earthquakes and preparing for that. I would suggest working with um, our planning department here. I don't remember what it's called, but you guys is probably the same thing. For us, it's you know something like code compliance. Yeah. And Turns out, I, I think those codes are pretty helpful. Yeah. You, once you're up to a standard, that means that standard won't fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would really suggest everyone go to their local planning department and uh, just double check that everything is in order, if okay. they have any concerns. Thank you. And then adding on my final question, with Santa Barbara and Goleta being surrounded by the beautiful ocean, are there any tsunami threats that you know of and what measures are in place for this? I have a lower concern for tsunamis uh, in Goleta. We have about two a two-mile stretch of beach that is managed by Goleta. And of course, please, if there's if you see signs of a tsunami, get away from the beaches. Uh, go to higher ground, please. And uh, but overall, Goleta is at a elevation and a little more inland. And uh, there may be some wetness and there may be some water that actually will go up our waterways but it won't really have a big impact on what's in our city limits. So uh, Santa Barbara does have a tsunami plan, a tsunami inundation map and a tsunami response plan uh, because we are a coastal city. Uh, so we definitely have the ability to get a tsunami here. Um, a lot of people say, oh, the Channel Islands are there. They're gonna block us from a tsunami. That is not true. Uh, we still have the potential to have a tsunami within, uh, along the coast, uh, like most coastal areas. Like I said, we have a plan. It's actually on the website. You can go and take a look at it, along with an inundation map that shows where, if we had a certain level tsunami, shows where that water would inundate. And also, if you're driving around Santa Barbara, you'll see signs that say, like, you're in a tsunami area, and then here's the evacuation route. So basically, getting away from the beach, trying to get you away from there. So a lot of the times you'll see here, if we have wildfires up in the hills, people go down towards the beach. So we want you to do the opposite and go away from the beach if there's a tsunami. Wonderful. Thank you both for all of that information. And before we wrap up the interview, is there anything else you would like to add or anything else you would like the public to know? So I would just say, you know, really, we want the public to be prepared and to be able to uh, self-sustain, I think is the language we've been using, Um, self-sustain and potentially be able to stay in place within their house or within their work for a certain amount of time, uh, depending on what the disaster is. So part of that is building the kits, like we've discussed, um, having a good communication plan, but also just maintaining situational awareness. So understanding what's going on. I know there's many times that um, I've decided, you know, I've driven into work and not checked the weather. Uh, Don't do that anymore, but (laughs) at least not with the storms lately. But I think we can all get into that habit of we're just going to work. It's another day. We're not Unless it's impacting us in our little bubble, we're not necessarily looking at what's going on around us. So really encourage people to look at, you know, what's happening weather-wise, what's happening around us in our city, in our county, so they know what's what's going on, uh, what's around you within your workplace, uh, things like that, and just maintaining that situational awareness. And then if you know a storm's coming in, if you know we're in high fire season and it's really hot, 
thinking about that as you go into that. We don't want you to be scared all the time or anything like that, but just knowledgeable and understanding what is going on in your surroundings and knowing how to get that information if you do see smoke, if you do see uh, that that rain's coming down really hard and you're seeing water rise. Yeah, I would love the community to just keep working on their awareness. Um, that's absolutely huge of just what are my concerns, what's around where I live, taking that information in and just really thinking about it and understanding it. If you ever see something that really just your instincts and you're like, that that may seem weird, maybe I should get out of here. Listen to yourself. I don't want anyone, we have a great alerting system, but it still takes time for our staff, like our response agency to create a message, double check it to make sure there's no errors, send it out within a good time frame. Like there's still a lot of steps to get that alert out there. And when you notice, maybe there is signs of a tsunami, maybe the water is receding. Don't just wait for us, please. Uh, take action to keep yourself safe. And that's one thing that will go a long way. Don't, please don't, don't just fully depend on us. We'll help you as much as possible. We want to do that for you, but listening to yourself will go a really long way. And then I would also just encourage all of our residents to sign up for uh, our alerting system for the county ready at readysbc.org mm -hmm. um, and get signed up if they're not. And double check if you are signed up to make sure that, you know, you're getting the notifications, your email's correct, your phone number's correct. And um, those are, it's a really great system and uh, make sure that you're signed up and getting those alerts. From my end, there are Goleta specific alerts and Ready SBC, that it stands for ReadySantaBarbaraCounty.org. They do a really good job of getting their alerts out. Like, please do yourself a service and sign up. Wonderful. Thank you so much to the both of you for joining me on the show today. It was a pleasure to speak with you about disaster preparedness and to learn about everything going on in Santa Barbara and Goleta about how we're keeping our community safe. All right. Thank you. From the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent, you're listening to The Indie. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and we'll see you next time.